Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, visit www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. So uh, please turn to uh, the book of Jonah in your Bibles. Uh, if you do not already have it, there are notes in the back uh, for you to, to fill out if you'd like. I'll give you a minute to uh, find it. It's, it's uh, near the end of your Old Testament, as most of you know, uh, maybe about 40 pages before Matthew. So that's, that gives you a clue. But there's a lot of little books right in there, so it's, it can be hard to find. So Pastor James and I chose this book because there's much to learn from this prophet. It is near the end of the Old Testament, as we said, and I think you will see that there's more depth to this story than you may have previously thought. The title for today's message is God's Tenacious Grace. Today we will be covering Jonah chapter 1. Some background information regarding Jonah Jonah was an Old Testament prophet who lived about 800 years before Jesus came to earth. This is during the divided kingdoms. That is, the kingdom of Israel had broken into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. During this time, the city of Nineveh was known as the most evil city in the world. And it was the capital of Assyria, the most powerful empire of the world. Charles H. Spurgeon says, Nineveh was a major city of the Assyrians, a cruel and warlike people who were longtime enemies of Israel. Assyrian artwork emphasized war, including scenes of execution, impalement, flaying the skin off prisoners, and beheadings. It is very understandable that a prophet from Israel would not desire to have a ministry there. Something else that will help us to understand the story of Jonah is to understand how people in that day and age thought of their, of their idols or gods, that is, little g gods. They usually considered them very local with limited power. For instance, they might consider a, power, a god had power over a local river or sea, but not the land or the wind of that area. And they did not think that the god had power outside of that area. Part of the implication of this was, if you thought one of the gods was mad at you, a simple solution was to leave the area. This information will help us better understand why Jonah may have thought he could run from God and why the sailors were surprised that Jonah's God could reach him in the Mediterranean Sea. This also helps us understand the New Testament and why the apostles were so surprised when Jesus shows his power in the midst of a storm by calming the sea and the wind. One of the reasons we know Jonah was a prophet of God is he is mentioned in 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25. In that verse, God speaks through Jonah, the son of Amittai, to King Jeroboam II, who was the king of Israel. 
saying that some of the borders of Israel would be restored. These borders were restored, proving the validity of Jonah as a true prophet of God. The point being that Jonah was a real person, a real person in history whom God used as a prophet. Many people think of Jonah in the Bible, the book, as an allegory or parable. We know that this is historically true for at least two reasons. First, the main person in the Bible, in the book of Jonah, is a real person, a true prophet of God. None of the parables in the Bible refer to real people by name. That would be libelous. The second reason that we know Jonah's uh, true story is Jesus refers to Jonah as a fish in a, as a real event in Matthew chapter 12, verses 39 to 41, which is what we just had read to us a few minutes ago. The word of God came to Jonah, giving him very specific directions. I have often desired specific directions from God. I would like to know what state to move to, what city to move to, what employer to accept a job with, what job to accept. I thought that'd be great. From that viewpoint, Jonah had it made. Um, God was very specific with him. Get up, go to Nineveh, and tell them they have been very evil and will be destroyed. On the other hand, I would very much dread going to the most evil city in the world and telling them, God will destroy you. It would be very challenging to trust God that much. It could also be very challenging to explain to friends and neighbors why you are sharing God's word with the enemies of Israel. I think Jonah has a lot to teach us about God's tenacious grace. I was having a difficult time coming up with a definition for tenacious that I felt was strong enough for the word. And I thought of my new hobby, making wooden pens. One of the steps requires using super glue to adhere the brass tubes inside of the wood. I use nitrile gloves to protect my fingers. I do not want to glue my fingers together or glue them to anything else. That glue is very tenacious. It is powerful and does not let go easily. That is the way God's grace is with us. He does not let go easily because his grace, grace is tenacious in our lives. Now we will look at uh, the book of Jonah and see God's tenacious grace there. We'll turn our attention from the background information, and now we're going to focus on uh, what the Bible says itself. Let's look at what it says in the first three verses of Jonah. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare, and he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. I wondered, 
What were Jonah's options? Here's a few I came up with. One, obey God and go to Nineveh and tell them they have been very evil and God is very angry with them. Two, tell God his concerns and why he would rather not go. Three, ask God to destroy Nineveh without a warning because they are such an evil city. And of course, there is the option that Jonah chose. Active disobedience of God's command to him. Of these, it seems to me there is one excellent, although very difficult choice, prompt and complete obedience to God. I think acceptable options include appealing to some or all of God's instructions that is long, as long as we do not test God's patience in the process. The last option, the one that Jonah chose, was probably one of the worst choices I could think of. Direct disobedience to God. And yet, I am making that choice every time I disobey a direct command from God. Every time I sin, that is the choice that I'm making, the worst possible choice. At first glance, it looked like Jonah was obeying God. Verse 3 tells us that Jonah got up and went. Ho, ho! That's what God told him to do. However, as we look closer, it says he went down to Joppa instead of heading up towards Nineveh, which Joppa is on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, and he bought a ticket to travel to Tarshish. We're not sure exactly where that is. However, it is generally thought that Tarshish was a port city in Spain, about two and a half thousand miles away, in the opposite direction from Nineveh. Verse 3 also gives us at least part of Jonah's motive for choosing that direction. Jonah chose to flee from the presence of the Lord. Jonah acted as if he thought if he ran fast enough, and far enough, he could escape from the Lord. I believe at this point we start to see God's tenacious grace. He does not give up on Jonah or on Nineveh. He doesn't just strike Jonah dead. He doesn't send him to the bottom of the sea. He starts the process of redemption. As many of you are aware, God's working in our lives to change our direction is often not pleasant. And he may take several steps as he did with Jonah. The first step was to stop Jonah from moving in the wrong direction. The second step was to get Jonah's attention. As we look at Jonah, it is surprising to see that he did not even notice when God stopped him. It took another person to wake Jonah up and draw his attention to the changes happening to Jonah and those around him. And now we can see how God stopped Jonah. Reading from verses 4 to 6. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship to the, into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and fell fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said, What do you mean, you sleeper? 
Arise, call out your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Interesting that the word hurled is used. When God throws the wind at the sea, I did not picture the word being used when I asked you to toss me a pencil or an eraser. I pictured the word being used to describe what a major league baseball pitcher does when he throws the baseball with tremendous speed and force. The storm that God starts in verse 4 is not a refreshing summer rain. It starts as a storm of epic proportions. Notice that Jonah is running from God brought very negative consequences on those around Jonah. It brought problems to the wind. The wind was hurled or thrown at the sea. It brought problems to all the birds and other creatures that lived in the air. It brought problems to the sea and the sea creatures that lived on or near the surface of the sea. It brought problems to the ship that Jonah was on and all the other ships or boats that were in that area. What sort of negative problems do we bring on? What sort of negative problems do we bring to not only ourselves, but also to those around us and closest to us when we disobey God? When we sin, we are usually very focused on ourselves. So we do, often are not even aware of the problems that our sin caused for those closest to us. We are not told how far Jonah got, perhaps part of a day and a few miles out to the sea, or perhaps a month and most away to the other end of the Mediterranean Sea, thousands of miles away. However, the next verse tells us, the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty storm, such a storm as to threaten the ship that Jonah was on with sinking. In fact, even the sailors and the captain believed their ship was in great peril. Why do I think that? It's recorded that they threw all of their cargo into the sea. When the cargo is thrown into the sea, that voyage went from a probably a profitable endeavor to a huge loss. And you're going to have a serious talk with your owners every time you do that. The experienced captain would not do that unless he was convinced that the passengers the crew, the ship, and even his own life was in serious danger. Also, we are told that the sailors cried out to their gods to save them. God gets Jonah's attention. What do we find Jonah was doing during this storm? Verse 5 tells us that he was fast asleep. I find this very strange. In the midst of the very, a major storm at sea for a landlubber to be asleep? Asleep? If I was on a ship on the verge of sinking in the middle of a major storm, I am sure that I would be wide awake and very eagerly praying to God to save the ship and me. Why was Jonah asleep? I wonder if there's another way of Jonah to avoid paying attention to God. What ways do we use to avoid listening to God? 
What will God need to do to get our attention? The captain had to wake up Jonah and tell him to pray to God to save them. Let's read the next verses, verses 7 to 10. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. It was a common occurrence for people to think that a major storm was the fault of someone. In this case, it turns out that they were correct. The crew of the ship thinks it is someone's fault that they're about to sink, so they attempt to find out whose fault it is. They do this by casting the lots, which is something like rolling of the dice, with the idea that everyone on the ship had a number of the dice. It comes up with Jonah's number. There is something that we do not do today because we have the Holy Spirit to help us determine what we should do. But in this case, God does direct the casting of the lots, and it comes up with Jonah's number. Then the sailors ask Jonah several questions. What is your job? Where are you from? What is your country? Who are your people? And why have you brought this evil upon us? Jonah avoided most of their questions, especially the one about his job. He did not tell them that he was a prophet of God. Jonah did tell them that he is a Hebrew and his God was the one who made the sea and the dry land. He also told them that he was fleeing or running from God. It is remarkable that Jonah describes God as the creator of both the land and the sea. Since we know from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, that it was Jesus who created everything, then this is a reference to Jesus. It is important to see the references to Jesus in the Old Testament because it helps us to have a fuller understanding of our triune God. Another question comes up. If Jonah really believed God created the land and the sea, why did Jonah think he could run from God? The sailors believed Jonah, so they asked his advice on what they should do to stop the storm from destroying them. Verses 11 through 16. Then they said to him, What shall we do now that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know that it was because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. 
Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land. But they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, do not let us perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done it as you pleased. So they picked up Jonah and hurled them into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Because the storm continued to get worse, the sailors are becoming more and more eager to do whatever it takes to escape the storm. In fact, it seems to be a significant understatement to say that it was continuing to get worse. The ESV translation says, the sea grew more and more tempestuous. Because we're now sitting in reasonably comfortable chairs with no storm in sight, even that statement does not really give us a good understanding of the event. Imagine that you have survived many storms at sea. However, this storm has everyone on board afraid that ship that is not only going to sink, it will probably be torn apart at any moment, and everyone on board will be likewise destroyed, never to be seen again. And the storm is continuing to get worse and worse, even when they have already believed there's almost no hope for surviving. The sailors said to Jonah, why have you done this to us, this terrible thing to us? And what should we do now that the sea might quiet down and stop trying to destroy us? Jonah replies, you need to pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will settle down for you. For I know the storm is entirely my fault. The sailors were afraid to throw Jonah into the sea. They understood that be, that would be to murder him, and they did not want to be guilty of murder. So instead of throwing Jonah into the sea, the crew rowed very hard to try to get to dry land. They could not make any progress because the storm continued to get worse. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please do not hold us guilty of killing this man because he told us to throw him into the sea. And you have brought this storm upon us. They picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea. Immediately, the storm stopped. The sea was calm, and the sailors were amazed at the change in the wind and the sea. They recognized that God was truly in full control of the wind and the sea. So the crew offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows, that is, they made promises to God as thanks for stopping the storm. God starts Jonah in the right direction. And our final verse in Jonah today, verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. God appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. The Hebrew word, which is translated as fish, is deg. This word does not refer to a specific type of sea creature that we think of as fish. 
It could be any animal that lives in the water. The fish started, starts Jonah on his journey in the direction that God had commanded him to go. I find it very interesting that it's recorded that God appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. God not only arranged for a fish to grow large enough to swallow Jonah, God also arranged for that fish to be in the exact location and depth of the sea and at the precise time to swallow Jonah. Also, that fish had to be capable of swallowing Jonah whole. <laughs> Apparently, this fish did not argue with God. We should be as willing to serve God as that fish was. This chapter of Jonah is fascinating because it clearly shows us how God directed the work in the life of Jonah through many things. First, God used his word to instruct Jonah. Then God hurls a great wind at the sea. He is using both the wind and the sea. We also see that God used the captain and the crew to challenge Jonah to do the right thing, that is to pray to God. We also see God using the lots. He even, he even controlled those lots to, to help them. That the satyrs cast to show them that their problem was centered on Jonah. God even used the satyrs to rebuke Jonah. Why did you do this to us? Even they're trying to row to land instead of throwing Jonah in the sea was a rebuke to Jonah's indifference and putting them all in danger. And now we see that God is choosing a specific fish to help Jonah do the right thing. God's tenacious grace was moving Jonah in the direction he should have been moving since receiving God's word. Here's some possible applications from Jonah chapter 1. A storm is a good thing when it stops us from going the wrong direction. It was a good thing for Jonah because it stopped him from fleeing from God. In our lives, a storm is a good thing when it stops us from fleeing from God or it stops us from disobeying him. Anything that stops us from going in the wrong direction is a good thing for us no matter how painful or inconvenient it is to us. Second, a storm is a good thing when it draws our attention to God. God used the storm and the ship's crew to wake Jonah up and draw his attention back to God and what Jonah should be doing. A storm in our lives is a good thing when it brings our focus back to God and his working in our lives. If we feel we are stopped from doing something we have started, it might be a good thing for us to examine what we are doing and why. Perhaps God is trying to capture our attention and wants us to change direction. However, be careful with that idea because it is not always the case that God wants you to change direction. Sometimes convenient and or easy things in our life are just God allowing us to make our problems to be too large to handle ourselves. For example, when Jonah arrived at the city of Joppa and was able to purchase a ticket to flee from God, it was easy and convenient to purchase that ticket. 
but it started Jonah on a long and very uncomfortable detour to obeying God. A storm is a good thing when it puts us on the right path. If we really understand our own eternal condition before coming to know Christ Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we would probably understand the terror of the people on that ship. With us, however, our danger of eternal destruction is not as obvious as to most of us as it was to the people of that ship. The better we understand God's tenacious grace and the condition of those around us, the more we will be motivated to share the good news of Jesus Christ with the lost people around us. In conclusion, a storm in our lives can be a good thing when it helps us better understand God's tenacious grace in our lives. And now we're going to have a time of communion. We hope you've enjoyed this Vanguard Bible Church podcast. You can find more sermon messages online at vanguardbible.org. Have a great week, and we hope we'll see you soon.